Yo and hello. Welcome back to Podcast Free Roscoe. I'm Sammy. And I'm Jody. And we're wondering. Do you remember Radio Free Roscoe? We do, and we can't shut up about it. We haven't been able to shut up for 20 whole episodes now. When and... can we stop? <laughs> when will you be appeased? In about 32 weeks or so, I think. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. We only got 32 weeks left to 2020, y'all. We can do it. So which, what episode are we talking about today? So today we're talking about season one, episode 20, Gossip. This initially aired January 16th, 2004. It was written by Swithbell and directed by Phil Earnshaw, who also has directing credits in several iterations of Degrassi. Um, no real guest stars in this one, though we do see um, some of our recurring favorites. We've got Tracy Hoyt as Miss Mitchell, the English teacher, and we've mm-hmm. got Will Greenblatt back as Leon. I know, Leon. I didn't, I didn't realize he made another appearance, but here Me he is. Me neither. Leon Appleton returns. And uh, we've got Kim back. Yes. We haven't seen Kim for a couple of episodes, ever since we found out that she's a dragon, but she can change. Yeah. She's into dragons. She's into dragons. She is the band Imagine Dragons. I was gonna, damn it! I was gonna make an Imagine Dragons joke. We this are is why we are person. the same person. Oh my god! Oh god. <laughs> Fuck. This is why. This is why nobody hangs out with us. <laughs> because it's so Waller centric, I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit more about Hamish McEwen. Oh yeah. There's not a whole lot about him on the internet, but I managed to just gather a couple of things. So. um uh, Hamish McEwen, you know, Canadian actor. He hasn't really been super active lately, according to IMDb. He hasn't been in anything since 2013, which is a real shame because he's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but he's he's done quite a few things. Like he pops up in episodes of things here and there. Like pretty much every Canadian ever, he's been in an episode of Murdoch Mysteries. Oh, of course. <laughs> he's also been in Suits and Flashpoint. Flashpoint's one I always think of. Like I've never seen it. But I always think of it because Enrico Colatoni is like the lead role. And whenever I see that guy anywhere, it always like sticks out to me because he was like the head alien in Galaxy Quest. So when he shows up in places, I'll be like, it's the Galaxy Quest guy. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now now I really want to see Principal Waller in Suits. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen Suits. I've never had a desire to see Suits, but now I have a desire to see Suits. We'll have to do like a, a mini podcast where we just track down every guest episode that Hamish McEwen is in. I'd be down for it. <laughs> Sammy, we're already working with a very niche viewership right here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you think the audience for that is. It would truly just be you and it I. It would just be you and I. It would be a podcast. It would be just us hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what else. Hamish McEwen also, he does some voice work. He voiced wonder man in the 1990s animated avenger series oh which immediate immediately made me think of danger man which you know danger honestly man. it would have been a fun easter egg if they made like danger man into wonder man how cool would that have been yeah yeah that'd be a good bit i would like that um one of my favorite things was on his imdb page one of the very few photos he has there's like a couple photos from some like like smaller Canadian movies he's done and some headshots but there's one of him I guess he had a small role in the movie Amelia back in 2009 that had Hillary Swank oh, as Amelia Earhart yeah, yeah. so there's just a photo of him hanging out with Ewan McGregor and Hillary Swank on the set of Amelia and it just it's it's really cute and the photo quality looks like he just kind of brought a camera one day and was like hey can I take a photo with you guys oh <laughs> I love it I love yeah. it Hamish. Hamish. 
one of my other favorite credits of his uh and i remember finding this out when we first watched this movie and it was it kind of blew my mind a little bit he was in uh the classic what some might call exploitation film zombie nightmare in 1987 oh which was covered on uh, an episode of mystery science theater 3000 essentially he plays one of a group of teens that gets like stalked and killed by this like zombie wait he yeah. McEwen yeah. in an MST3K movie. Yeah, he gets killed in like a sauna or something like that. He's running around in his undies and then like the zombie kills him. Uh, the last thing I have about Hamish McEwen is, so he hasn't really been doing a lot of acting, at least IMDb certified, I guess, acting since 2013. But I did find his LinkedIn profile. Oh. And it says uh, his current listing is producer, director, and voiceover actor at Punch-In Productions Incorporated. Uh, and his summary says, I am bringing my years of experience as a voice performer and director, producer, and commercial post-production to the agency in-house production model. I am currently working with a number of ad agencies as their in-house voiceover director slash producer. So he's doing a lot of VO directing these days, which is, you know, I'm happy for him, but I would also just love to see him on screen more he's a lot of fun <laughs> he, he makes the, the greatest faces i was going through it and making um gifts for um the episodes and like the crazy eyes that he has in episode 19 are are burned into me forever oh he's so good at doing these like he like playing this you know barely holding it together neurotic character but also like I love how he flips the switch and he's the guy who's like dancing through the halls and singing little pep up songs about himself. He's so great. He's he's such a fun like Waller is such a fun character and he plays him so well. Yeah. Wouldn't be the same without Hamish. No, it wouldn't. Um, the last little bit, I think you'll really enjoy this. I tried to Google his company, Punch In Productions, to see if I could find a website or anything. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came up was a Toronto company called One Inch Punch Productions. <laughs> Stop. (laughs) It all comes back together. (laughs) It all comes together, baby. It's all coming back to me now. (laughs) Isn't that a Celine Dion song? It is. Fuck. (laughs) It's so Canadian. Did you misunderstand the rule about no horseplay in the halls? It's an automatic detention. Horseplay includes all boisterous activities like running, yelling, shoving, and without a doubt, throwing a ball at the principal. So we start off the episode with Robbie and Ray walking through the hallway, Ray's checking his phone, and Robbie roasts him saying, ooh, you're looking for a text from Lily, because we're back on the Ray and Lily like each other train. Um, And Ray, for some reason, has a dodgeball with him. He's just walking through the school hallway with a dodgeball, (laughs) which is... I, I don't think a, a common thing. I don't think no. generally they let you take the equipment out of the gym because that in itself is is largely the problem here is that someone let Ray leave the gym with a dodgeball. Yeah, don't let Ray into, like, just don't let Ray. But in retaliation for Robbie roasting him, he throws the dodgeball at Robbie who um, dodges it, as you do with a dodgeball, and it bounces off of the uh, railing of the stairwell. And when it bounces back, Waller catches it in, like, a very, very, like, swift, impressive catch. Yeah. I feel like it's one of, you know, Waller's well, hidden talents. Yeah. He's got, a, he's got a lot under the surface. But also, like, 
I just, I don't understand Ray's logic of chucking this dodgeball in what's clearly a very crowded hallway. <laughs> like something bad was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, like Robbie dodging it, you know, means it could definitely have hit somebody else. Yeah. But uh, Waller, of course, is not too pleased, starts going off on Ray, telling him that this is an automatic detention. But then over Ray's shoulder, he sees Miss Mitchell. She's just kind of standing there. Yeah, he's just kind of standing there, like, looking at him. And, like, not in, like, he, like, drew attention to himself by, like, scolding Ray. Just kind of, like, just kind of, like, standing there, just looking. It's looking. It's it's very weird. It was like they they didn't quite know how to work her into the scene. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that she was like leaving a classroom or anything. She's just kind of like you. We need him to notice you, so stand there. <laughs> yes, stand there, observe as is natural to do. Yeah. So Waller uh, uh, kind of drops his whole like stern thing and says, "Ah, oh, boys will be boys," and he ruffles Ray's hair. And lets him go on his way. Nicely handled, Mr. Waller. You have a lovely rapport with your students. Oh, please, Miss Mitchell. Uh, how many times do I have to tell you? Call me Danny. Oh, of course. As long as you call me Emily. And she says, please, call me. And then takes off the glasses and says, Emily. And it's it's such a moment. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just strange timing and why does she need to take off the glasses for it i know this isn't she's all that this isn't a bad (laughs) 90s movie (laughs) she takes off her glasses and she's still an english teacher (laughs) she's still tracy hoyt she's still lovely (laughs) well maybe maybe this is just how they've coded it maybe this is like oh she's interested she took off her glasses that's how you know if a person wants to lower their vision (laughs) To yes. look at you, that means they like you. They like you blurry. <laughs> Ray observes this whole interaction as it kind of wraps up, and he starts putting some some things together, especially as, you know, Waller and Miss Mitchell try to part ways, and it's that super awkward, like, stereotypical, like, oh, they kind of bump into each other. <laughs> Waller's really good at physical comedy, I feel like. I feel like... This is another good Hamish moment. He just kind of does this odd, awkward little twirl thing. It's yeah. like he's trying to like reorient himself. And Ray's like, huh. He has this great face. Of like, what's going on here? Yeah. What do you think was the author's message in this particular novel? Oh, oh uh, geeks will inherit the earth. <laughs> well, in a way, yes. So after the hallway scene, we pop right over into Miss Mitchell's English class where they're talking about the chrysalids which is a book I've never read. <laughs> no, I had never heard of it. No, I, I feel like I read a lot of Canadian lit in high school when it came to like the big novels and stuff. But but this this does continue like our, our tally of how many novels these ninth graders have to read in a year. That's true. There's so many and like, you know, pretty heavy stuff too. Like again, I haven't read the chrysalids, but what they're talking about. Is, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, my- stuff. The the standard at my high school was that you would read one novel, one Shakespeare play, and then usually another play or novel um, per year. So you'd have like three major pieces of of writing that you had to read and and do exercises and projects based off of. So they've, they've hit their capacity. They had the power of their ideas. And without censorship, they had the ultimate freedom of communication. 
kind of like Radio Free Roscoe. Good example, Leon. Miss Mitchell's engaging the class about the themes of the chrysalids, and Mr. Waller kind of manages to pop by the doorframe, so he's sort of listening in. Because of that anonymity, the children in the chrysalids, like RFR, have the power to bring about change. That is pure speculation, Miss Mitchell. Excuse me? Well, I'm just saying, I, I couldn't help it over here, but it, shouldn't you be emphasizing that the um, mind readers in the chrysalids are ultimately murderers? <laughs> the 14-year-olds that keep harassing me on the radio are murderers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> our, like, Waller is not having it, needs to come and needs to intervene because RFR is the bane of his existence. Yeah. It's his arch nemesis. Yeah, so clearly the the course of action is to completely undermine one of your teachers. Yeah. <laughs> he he can tell he's kind of he's screwed up like, you know, Miss Mitchell basically says, "We we're, we're discussing deeper themes." And he's just kind of like, "Oh." <laughs> and then class is dismissed, and then she kind of ices him out by saying, "I think you should call me Miss Mitchell." When he tries to call her Emily, it's like, "Oh no." Two steps forward, one step back. Oh. She does encourage Waller to reread the chrysalids because it's been a very long time since he's actually read the book. And so she gives him her personal copy. So we'll see how that goes. I do have a, a point that I need to to make in regards to this whole crush situation. In a previous episode, we got a glimpse of Waller's desk with a photo where presumably he was kissing somebody. We, it was two people kissing on his desk. We yes. assumed it was him and somebody else. <laughs> so was that a past relationship that was like a photo that he was keeping on his desk? Did he go through a breakup or were those people on his desk? Not him. Yeah. I'm kind of like, did they come with the frame? <laughs> did they come with the frame? He just had like the, the default picture. Yeah. Oh, Walder, No. I want to know what love is. I want to know who's kissing in that photo. <laughs> okay, Shady Lane, guess what number I'm thinking of. Infinity? Infinity's not even a number. Travis sounds like that like annoying nerd. <laughs> like from when you were eight when people would say infinity. Infinity's not a number. <laughs> yeah, Travis is an annoying eight-year-old nerd that's establishing canon. <laughs> it's an eight-year-old nerd who's killed a man. <laughs> So we go to RFR. Um, they're doing a bit where Shady is trying to read Smog's mind. A la it's the very kind of, cute. Yeah, it's it's following the telepathy theme that they were talking about in the Chrysalids. Um, but following that bit, Ray provides a little bit of gossip saying that he's realized that Waller has a crush on somebody. And they... Put on a song and talking off the air, he reveals that Waller has a crush on Mrs. Mitchell. So the gossip has begun. The The crew's kind of torn, especially Robbie, about whether this is something that they should cover on the radio. Because it's not like a, you know, it's, it's gossip. It's not really, I don't know what RFR covers. <laughs> like, it's not really news. It's kind of local culture. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. I, I do have to say I did not I didn't put it together that they were doing the telepathy bit because of the chrysalids. I was just like, oh, this is a fun bit. <laughs> Let me tell you about what it feels like to be scared of, of a woman. We get treated to another Planet Smashers ska montage. Yes, the ska montage of Waller kind of like creeping around 
and like <laughs> like it's it's a very as as much as like the the RFR gang is playing up like oh it's creepy our principal has a crush which is like a normal thing the way that this montage plays out is very creepy it's a little weird yeah there's like one part where he's like petting miss mitchell's desk he's just sitting on the edge of her desk just like stroking it yeah like oh i bet her butt's been here before <laughs> <laughs> ah! he's like kind of like watching her in the hallways and then when she turns around he hides behind robbie <laughs> yeah that's a great bit yeah where he's like petting like the nameplate on her copy of the christmas oh and it's like it's like done so slowly and there's like there's just enough, like, tension that his fingers just, like, drag in a very, like, stilted, creepy way. And it's unsettling. Just... I do, I, I love the, the idea that, you know, you have, you have certain sort of cinematic techniques that get pioneered in different films or by different directors. You know, when I think of montage, I think of... Uh, my uh, my film studies education where we learned about Eisenstein's Soviet montage. I feel like the ska montage is, <laughs> is a whole new technique that that's, I am a far pioneer. That's a whole new chapter in the textbook. That's yeah. a whole course all on its own. <laughs> I love he's also wearing like a little rose boutonniere. Yeah. Like suddenly he's like Waller in love. So he has a little rose. The montage takes a really dark turn when Waller feels like he's being watched by the students. The music kind of slows down. Yeah. And we get these blue tinted shots of the students staring at him. Waller runs into Miss Mitchell and she's asking him how the book's going. And he says, oh, that's great. Do you ever get a feeling you're being watched? And we just get this like very like Hitchcock cycle like yay, yay, like sound effect while just like a blue tinted shot of students staring at him. It's very good. Okay. I know this is going to sound strange, but it, it is strange, I assure you. The students are uh, watching me, following my every move, uh, waiting to see what I will do next, and I can't stand it. So after Miss Mitchell and Waller part ways, he stumbles into Cougar Radio, and we get Kim. We haven't seen Kim in a while. And basically, he's trying to confide in Kim that he's worried everybody's like watching him, and he's getting super paranoid, and Kim reveals the fact that RFR has been talking about the fact that he is a crush. And it's great, like, while he tries to play it off for a second, he's like, crush, that's preposterous. But then suddenly he's like, w w what do they know? And then we get this, we get another shot where uh, we look sort of out the window of Cougar Radio, and there's just, like, a lineup of students just staring at him. <laughs> Like staring like, into the two of them con conversing at Cougar Radio, and like it's it's not in like the typical like gossiping kind of way where they're like talking to each other and like stealing glances kind of thing where it's like obvious yeah. that they're talking about him. It's just four people like in tableau <laughs> staring yeah. into the window. They kind of look like they're waiting for a bus or something. They're just <laughs> sort of standing. <laughs> What's this bus everyone keeps talking about? <laughs> This this episode has made me think. Um, I I had a couple of teachers in high school who were dating, but it was largely like under wraps. What? But it was like uh, it was it was very obvious to their students because one of them was um, my food teacher, 
And I was in a, a split food class. Um, it was supposed to be like a grade nine, 10 class, but because I had like a very particular conflict, they made exceptions for me and two other grade 11 students. And because we were the grade 11s, for some reason, this teacher did not make us do anything. Like we we didn't have to do the assignments. It would be like everyone else has to do like a worksheet. You guys go bake cookies. Sick. <laughs> it was It was a pretty sweet deal, but... She made their relationship very obvious because whenever we had to like bake something as a class, she would tell us to bake an extra one and take it to his classroom. Oh my God. <laughs> so it was like, we, we always had to make extra of everything to bring to, to him and his class. That's wild. I do have strange. to say, I know it's like a food, like home economics class, but like the fact that you said food class is just like, hello students, this is food. <laughs> This is not food. Well, I mean, essentially that that was it. <laughs> at, at one point we made like smoothies. Is there such thing as too much information? Do we really need to know how dangerous the universe is? If small asteroids can't be spotted until weeks before they hit the Earth, then why spoil those last few weeks? So in the next scene, we go to Radio Free Roscoe where Robbie's having one of his usual sort of he's got this interesting philosophical bit going about the end of the world and he invites callers to call in and soon enough the callers pretty much all derail the topic by talking about Waller and Miss Mitchell I guess did everybody discern it was Miss Mitchell just by like staring at Waller because they never mention on the show who the crush is yeah I guess just because she's like the only person that he's like interacting with Robbie and Lily and Travis are kind of like, eh, we're, we're kind of getting off topic. We should probably reel this back in. But Ray's loving it because it's Ray. And so he's he's happy to go with the change of topic. And then we get one caller who claims to have really juicy gossip. I overheard him say something to Miss Mitchell today that's so juicy, you won't believe it. All right, so tell us. It's too big. I'll only tell you if you go off air. Travis puts on a song and they ask the mystery caller what's going on and the caller basically sets up this whole thing where Waller and Miss Mitchell are supposed to be going on a date at Mickey's so if you wanted to you could go and like record their date or something and we find out that this mystery caller is basically just Kim pinching her nose <laughs> to give herself a different voice and Waller is in the booth with her he's fully in on the plan so it's all a setup to catch those RFR scoundrels once and for all. But in order for the plan to work, Kim says he's got to ask out Miss Mitchell. And he's like, no, I won't do it. I won't bring her into it. And she kind of like gives him shit. And she's like, coward. All right. Good luck ever asking her out. What was that, Kim? I said, good luck ever asking her out. Yes, that's what I thought you said. She just doesn't care. Yeah. And, and he like, he has no rebuttal to it. He's like, yeah, that's, that's what I thought you said. And then he just leaves. Like, like there is no authority. <laughs> no. Waller is, Waller keeps commenting on how frightening Kim is. I think he is truly scared of Kim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as he should be. We, we leave the first half with most of the RFR gang not being too into this gossip, but Ray just not being able to resist as Kim and Waller's elaborate trap draws him in. So that brings us to our CanCon commercial break. This week we're talking about video and arcade top 10. Hell yeah. 
I've got a summary here from the Wikipedia page. Video Game Arcade Top 10, often abbreviated as V&A Top 10, or simply V&A, was a Canadian game show broadcast on YTV from 1991 to 2006. Shit. Filmed in Toronto. Yeah, right? Like, I didn't realize it went on for 15 years. That's wild. It filmed in Toronto, Ontario, it was a competitive game show in which contestants played against each other in video games for prizes, with assorted review and profile segments on current games, music, and movies featured as well. The series was hosted by then-YTV PJ Gordon Michael Wolvett, a.k.a. Gord the PJ Man, in its first season, after which he was replaced by CFNY radio DJ Nicholas Schimmelpenick, a.k.a. Nicholas Pickles, which is like the best teaching name. Oh, ever. classic Nicholas Pickles. And he would be regularly joined by three other on air personalities, one at serving as a primary co host, and two more who are presenting other segments. Because they did a lot of segments. They would review like movies and music and give like updates on video game news. Um, so the main portions of each episode would have four contestants playing one-player modes of video games against each other, typically from Nintendo consoles supported at the time of filming. Scoring was done by having the contestants try and get the highest score, collect the most of something, maintain the most health, or get the best time in their game depending on the genre. So sometimes they would be playing things like sports games and they'd have to get like a certain number of goals or things like that. Or, like, they'd be playing Super Mario 64 and they had to collect the most stars. During the gameplay, Nicholas and the main co-host would tell the audience about the game's rules, plots, special moves, and sometimes secrets or codes while assorted gameplay footage was shown on screen. Though specific coverage of the contestants' progress and scores weren't revealed to the home audience. Man, as I'm reading this, it's making me think about what a thing cheat codes used to be. Oh, yeah. Like, and how they would be difficult to find. Like, you'd have to go on, like, special websites to find them. Like, there would be websites dedicated to cheat codes. EB Games and stuff like that used to have sections that were just, like, those Ultima guides or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you could get a guide for a video game that had, like, all the secrets and the cheat codes. And it's it's kind of like a, a weird thing we sort of moved on from because you don't really need them anymore. It's all on the internet. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of cool to think of, like, watching a show and, like, legitimately, like, watching it to be like, oh, what are the cheat codes for this? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So at the end of a round, the winning contestant generally won a copy of the game that they just played and a second small prize, typically a Timex watch in later seasons. Oh. Uh, love me a Timex that's, watch. That's how you know it's a Canadian series of the late 90s. <laughs> oh, I know. Some seasons featured an additional first place prize from a show sponsor, like a Toronto Blue Jays prize pack or a KFC Big Crunch meal. Uh, each losing contestant would win a consolation prize of their own. For example, later seasons saw the second place finisher win dinner passes for medieval times in Toronto, <laughs> while the third and fourth place contestants each won a video and arcade top 10 t-shirt, or by the last season, an Air Hogs helicopter toy. I remember Air Hogs. Oh, I feel yeah. like, I'm, yeah, you'd see like commercials for them and stuff. Yeah. Each contestant was also paired up with a viewer at home that had sent in a postcard and an attendee in the studio audience that would each win the game their assigned contestant won if they came in first place. So it's almost like, kind of makes me think of that thing in Uh-Oh where you would kind of like bet on the slime tour people. Yeah. And like if they won, you would get points. It's kind of like that kind of thing. Wow. So it's cool. Like you watch an episode and be like, hey, here's Ben. He's playing for, I don't know, Jimmy and Moose Jaw or something like that. Yeah. This is, um, this is a lot of steps to this show. I know. Like, you would do these rounds. And that doesn't even get into the fact that, like, there was all these different segments, too. Like, there were, like, video game news updates. There would be reviews of new CDs that were released that week or movie reviews. 
Um, there was letter time, which is when Nicholas Pickles would be like reading a letter on air that was sent in by a home viewer. Uh, Turbo tips. So that's like tips, tricks, and hints for games that were played on that day's episode. And uh, the VNA Top 3, which is where they would deliver a list of the top three best-selling video games at the time of filming. So they packed a lot into these episodes, and it's kind of wild watching it because they speak so fast. Oh, boy. <laughs> and they would the way that they would film these is they would have like a couple days a month because Nicholas Piccolis was uh, working as a radio host in Buffalo, and he still works as a radio host in Buffalo. So he would basically commute to like Toronto to film these shows and it was kind of like uh-oh where they would film like six or seven episodes in one day so they'd be like motor mouthing through all this like news and these games and then really quickly they'd have to like you know change wardrobe and get the new kids on there and stuff like that and just like wild the the, the amount of of segments in the show make me think that when they had like the initial like boardroom meeting where they were like, "Hey, we want to make a TV show. Here's a whiteboard. There's no bad ideas. There's no dumb ideas." <laughs> and they just wrote everything down and didn't, yes. and just submitted a full whiteboard as a pitch for a TV show. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. Nicholas Piccolis was actually able to share some interesting insights on the show's production. In uh, there's this great Vice article called "Why People on Twitter Are Still Asking This '90s YTV Host for Video Game Help." <laughs> so he basically talks about the fact that you know it was uh, they would film six or seven episodes at a time. Piccolis admits to having learned a lot of the game-specific jargon on the fly, though he says that some players weren't as successful at picking up the basics for their first-time experiences. Um, this is something kind of interesting I wouldn't have thought about, but he says, The games were so new that our players didn't know how to get past the first level, the host recalls. They're sitting on it for the first time. Maybe they get a half hour to play it in a practice room setting. You know, you're playing the game for the first time. You don't know what to do, where to go, how to move on. Because they they would be getting like brand new games. Apparently they had like a really good deal with Nintendo uh -huh. where Nintendo would like bring them games and then take them back when they were done with them because they weren't like on shelves or anything yet. Like they would have uh, these very exclusive deals. Oh, wow. And then he kind of talks about a challenge that they had as the show went on. This is from the same Vice article, but while the show started in a simpler time of space shooters and side-scrolling adventures from Mario, times got tougher as trends skewed towards violent head-to-head -head combat games or more adult-themed narratives. Being on a youth-geared network, Piccolis says that the show's later years compensated by trotting out E-rated Pablum. So he says, once the games got more violent and the internet came alive, which happened during the span of the show, it became more and more difficult to do the show. We'd have to tell the kids, hey, don't pick up the knife. We don't want you stabbing the guy. <laughs> we were on YTV, a youth network that's trying to keep its programming less stabby. You wanted to stay away from any of that stuff. I remember at the end it became difficult. We were playing children's games, toddler, single-digit kids games, because you couldn't play anything else. Everything else had this intense violence. Which is, it's kind of funny, like, thinking about, like, you know, if I think about if they were to do video in Arcade Top 10 today, I mean, I guess you'd probably do it on Twitch or something. But they, I feel like there's been a real renaissance of, like, games that I guess would be considered family games, but that everyone can enjoy. Like, yeah. I feel like there's, there's especially with the, because, um, I mean, this show ended in 2006, right? Like, the indie game scene was just getting started. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a... It'd be interesting to see, like, a reboot of this, but with some of those games that are 
you know, intense and fun and exciting, but they're not violent. Yeah. But that'd be interesting. Especially now when you think of, like, all the franchised games in terms of, like, like the, the Spider-Man PS4 game, you know? There, yeah. There's, like, be because there's been this expansion of franchises in general that then spawn, like, video game franchises based off of, like, popular movies. You know, mm-hmm. you get kind of into that whole subgenre of, like, kind of kind of on the cusp of, of violence or, like, in an older um generation but still like generally with content that appeals yeah like it's not it's not like mortal Kombat level stuff there are a few episodes you can find on youtube uh i think sometimes um people will have gotten like copies of the episodes they were in and stuff like that so people will upload them to youtube so you can find quite a few episodes on there and they're a really fun snapshot of like it's it's definitely one of the most 90th, 90s things I've ever seen yeah. in terms of aesthetics. We want to throw you a back-to-school party because we know how much you love school. But this is no ordinary party. For one, it's going to be hosted by Mario, and we will send this Nintendo van to your house so you and none of your best buds can play the hottest games on the hottest system, Nintendo 64, of course. How sick would that be? <laughs> it's like that much video dance thing that everybody wanted them to come, wanted to go to their school. The back-to-school van party will take place on Saturday afternoon. October 4th, 1997 from noon to 4 p.m. Seeing the date 1997 just did something to me. I know. You would have been like a year old. I want to play the Mario bus. I'm one year old. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, let's check in with the crew and see what's going on. Prepare for some destructive but helpful tips on Blast Force 64. Then we'll head into another galaxy with Star Wars Shadows of the Empire update. And in music, we'll rock to the sounds from the guys in the red shirt. Then in movies, it's the hilarious Whoopi Goldberg and the associate. First up, we're going to hit the ice with Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey from Midway for N64. This is too much. This is absolutely chaotic. It's overwhelming. They just keep, like, zooming in <laughs> on every person as they switch. I know. <laughs> Can you? Okay. The the way that they go through these segments, it's like you're a newscaster. Yeah. Like, the, like they're pivoting back and forth between anchors who are doing like a like a thirty second um, talking head about like a you know something in the news. Can you imagine yeah. if this is how they do the news? <laughs> Yeah, you just got like this like video game like droning kind of video game track in the background and they kind of swoop in on each person as they go. <laughs> this is how the news should be. Yes. We need to learn from Nicholas Pickles. First up is Rocco. Get ready to make your home player Philip Nelson of Scarborough. Next we need Paul, your home player is a very lucky Eric Nadal Willowdale. And here's Trevor. You're playing for Andy Troy of Toronto. And get ready, Mickey. You're playing for your home player, Sean Grand Medley of Brampton. Uh, there's uh we we meet some of the kids who are playing one of the episodes and no, like none of them look like they want to be there <laughs> like, except the, but then they show shots of the audience and these kids are losing their mind oh they're so excited but like the kids that are going to play like one of them is giving like a deer in headlights look <laughs> and one of them mickey is just kind of like he's like fully slanted <laughs> he's not standing upright he's like fully diagonal <laughs> yeah yeah and these kids are going to play Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey. Yeah, so that's uh, 
That's a that's a look into video and arcade top ten. So many weird energies at the same time. Like it's just chaotic going between the things, and then like the kids that are playing are just kind of like, well, okay, I guess we're playing now. <laughs> I guess it's time for video games again. <laughs> I have I have some. <laughs> I just love this character. I'm like this sad nine year old. He's like, oh, I gotta play the hockey video game. <laughs> I got to play Wingrisky 3D again. Oh, I guess I gotta make another goal. Just slowly, like slanting more and more to the side. <laughs> I found a couple of articles. There was the Vice one, and then there's another one from Comics Gaming Magazine Online. Whatever happened to Nicholas Pickles? And it's an article from 2013. He says, We cross the border into Canada, and I get the weirdest stares. I'll walk through an Ikea, and a guy who is 33 years old will stare at me like I'm from a wanted poster. And then I'll see it click. Yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that bitch. <laughs> And then here's some more from the Vice article. While his kids may or may not be getting some insider tips on the classics anytime soon, Pickleus does encounter the odd fan over Twitter. A few years back, cable channel Game TV picked up a block of video and arcade top 10 reruns, which led to a handful of gamers tracking the old host down on social media to get some choice advice. I started getting these Twitter messages like, hey, I need help with whatever game. And I'm like, hold on. I can't tell this if this is someone being funny or a legitimate gamer watching the show thinking it's fresh and wanting codes. <laughs> I I don't know. Just watching this again, like, it's a lot, but it's it's fun to watch. Like, I definitely remember this isn't a show I watched a lot, but, you know, it would be showing in reruns or whatever. And I feel like I feel like this would show on YTV like before Jungle Run or something. So I would sometimes catch a little bit of video in arcade top 10. And maybe that's yeah. why I don't remember it so clearly. It's just I was yeah. so enamored by Jungle Run. It just oh, overtook I know. my entire consciousness. I, I am happy to share that there is a video and arcade top 10 reboot change.org petition. <laughs> 31 people have signed it. You better be one um, of those 31 people, Sammy. I, 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 I... I'm sad to share that I am not currently. Um, the The description of the petition basically takes like the first paragraph from the Wikipedia page about video and arcade top 10 and then just adds, Chorus and YTV should make reboot of arcade top 10 for the fans. For the fans. Some of the reasons for signing people shared. One guy shares, because I want to get YTV back on the right track. The Canadian way. Don't know what that means. <laughs> There's uh, another comment. I remember this show when I was much younger. It helped kids with video games. It sure did. <laughs> it makes it sound like it helped kids with math or something. Yeah, like it was like an educational program. Here's a good one. Video and Arcade Top 10 was as important to my childhood development as Sesame Street or Reading Rainbow. With modern technology, we could make this show so much better than it was. <laughs> I I don't like the kind of the, the underpinnings of these comments. I know it's it's very strange. Um, I also I found a couple of TV.com reviews, one positive, one less positive. Um, here's a review by Mick Banka posted on November 15th, 2007. And the title of the review is awesome show. And I don't think we'll see one like it for some time. I loved the show. People playing against each other with your favorite games on your favorite game system was cool. The hosts were also funny, but that movie segment could have been better. The prizes, well, sort of vary. 
Some were good, others were bad. But hey, they gave away free games, who could argue with that? Now if the show was still running during this video game age, we Xbox 360, PS3, then the show might get even more attention, but unfortunately not. Also, that letter time was a good commercial bumper, and once again, you're given free games just for being selected. Ah, the memories. Nowadays, we have more terrible game shows that can't compete with the past. So there's that review, and then here's a review from Chili Beach 28 from June 19th, 2006. The title of the review is Never Beat a Dead Horse. I mean, with quality prizes such as a free trip to the Ontario Science Center, you can't go wrong. Sad. How old is this show? Like 12 years old? And yet, it's still showing as a time filler. I remember this show in 1993 when they had better games and prizes and an audience. This show is like a joke. Before each commercial break, they show a semi-bird's eye view of the set and there's no audience and only the host is clapping. Now the prizes are things like a free trip to the science center or books. It's like YTV knows this show is a complete waste of time. I like the science center. <laughs> Man, that's, I mean... I, I kind of, I, I could kind of see where Chili Beach is coming from. Hearing what Nicholas Piccolis was saying about the changing video game times. Again, I would love to, I feel like something like this would succeed a lot better today now that we have so many good like indie games. Yeah. Also, like, I wonder what it would look like today. Like, I feel like they could reboot it as a thing on Twitch. Like, that would be cool. People yeah. would be into that. Yeah. Who knows? As long as they keep like the the intense zoom ins for like these like ten second recaps that all the hosts have to do, that's yeah. I think that's an essential part of the video and arcade top ten formula. Got to get Nicholas Piccolis back. You got to do like zoom in on hosts so they can speak for like ten seconds, and we got to track down Mickey and bring him back, <laughs> and any other disinterested kids. Um, but yeah, so that's Video and Arcade Top 10. It's extremely 90s. Uh, certainly the the episodes that you can find on YouTube are. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a real blast from the past if you're a gaming fan or, you know, just a fan of YTV in general. It's very, it's got very like mid-90s YTV energy and it's a lot of fun. So if you think this story is just a metaphor, well think again. I mean, there are evolutionary evolved super species out there. Mm. You all may not recognize them, but let's just say my doctor thinks I'm pretty special. Oh God, Leon! <laughs> That's not something you want to tell your class, Leon. Come on. Oh, boy. So, uh, Leon's in the middle of a presentation in their English class when Wally walks in and says he's got a memo for Miss Mitchell that she says she'd already gotten that one. You know, it was in her mailbox. She checks her mailbox. But before he leaves, she says that she's got a memo for him too. And she scribbles down a note on a piece of paper and he grabs it and leaves. And <laughs> Lily and Travis are kind of like sympathizing with Waller. And Travis says that Waller needs some help in the flirting department, which coming from Travis... <laughs> The, the stiffest teenager alive. <laughs> I I think the stiffest was a strange choice of words. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm really not doing well with with making not questionable choices. Of, but of yes, words. A, a very a very tense boy who we've we've seen is not wise in the ways of love. Um, but Waller walks out of the classroom and immediately starts kind of like bonking his head on the wall, like saying, so oh, cute. she hates me. It's like, oh, uh, 
Oh, poor Waller, but he he opens up the the note from Miss Mitchell and it says He wears the rose of youth upon him. <laughs> Thank you, Shakespeare. Because he's been wearing the little rose boutonniere on his jacket. And it's cute. It's legitimately adorable. It's very sweet. I just can't get over that. Like, he immediately leaves and just turns around and boops his head into the wall. Yeah. Guys, hold on. Wait up. We can't go through with Operation Datebug. The crew is getting ready for another day of broadcasting RFR. And Lily and Travis kind of put their foot down and say that, you know, they can't go through with bugging Waller's date. And Robbie's in agreement. But Ray's convinced this is, like, the most entertaining thing ever. And they have to do it. But, you know... Lily and Travis are super sympathetic to Waller now, having seen what a what a dork this has kind of made him. And, you know, Robbie was never really truly on board with this. And in the broadcast, Robbie mentions, you know, idle gossip is not what they're about. And they want to cool it on all the Waller stuff. And in this scene, we also get the return of Shady Lane's cowboy hat, which I was excited to see. And Jody pointed out, we hadn't seen it since the episode with all of the sweat. So it's nice to see it return it's to the least wardrobe. A lot of sweat that cowboy hat. Oh, that's a good point. I hope she wiped it down at least. But it's an, it's nice to see it return to Lily's wardrobe rotation. Yes, but they they make a formal apology on the air to uh, Principal Waller for meddling with his love life. Um, and after the broadcast, Ray's like, you know it, you all suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. And and he he leaves because he thinks that you know. This is still worth going through with. Um, and they get another off-air call from the mysterious caller who thinks, who says, oh, you know, this is a great way to get him off your trail. And they're like, no, 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 this is like, this is legit. We don't want to meddle with his love life anymore. But then Robbie clues in and he calls the cougar radio phone. What was that all about? Didn't you hear the ringing? That was me. I thought I knew who it was, so I called cougar radio. Why did we think of that? Who but Kim could be so evil? So they're all like, oh, of course it's Kim. And Travis says, well, lucky none of us were sleazy enough to go through with it. But then they all have the realization that Ray is a sleazy boy. Yeah, he just left to basically do that. So So they gotta go stop him. Yikes. No wiretaps. We go to Waller nervously making his way into Mickey's being super paranoid, like feeling around for like, wiretaps or whatever he he sees a kid wearing headphones and he just like grabs him and it turns out to be uh leon listening to one of those like i hadn't thought about these for a long time but like how music stores used to have like listening stations yeah so yeah mr waller jeez you know if you wanted to listen all you had to do was ask me meanwhile the crew is trying to run to catch up with ray because ray's turned off his cell phone the recorder's gone and so we're treated to this running montage, which, again, we don't know how far Mickey's is away from the studio, but we get lots of shots of the three of them running to try and stop Ray. Emily. Oh, hi there, Danny. What on earth are you doing here? Meanwhile, Waller bumps into Miss Mitchell, who just happens to be there buying CDs. And he basically is trying to sort of gently convince her to leave but not because it's a weird thing to do and she kind of catches on and it's like are you asking me to leave like no let's just sit and talk about your cds although he says emily i i just don't think that right now is a good time to uh, sit are you asking me to leave no 
he's so awkward about it and it's 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 a little hard to watch poor waller he's he's just super paranoid then we see ray enter the scene with a mysterious bulky backpack of equipment so ray sets up his his recording equipment he's really being way too conspicuous about it (laughs) he's got like this big bulky recorder he grabs a bunch of straws somehow makes a boom pull out of straws that he attaches okay this is this is this is the thing he has like this goofy little plastic toy microphone attached to this boom pull of straws but travis said he took the like he took the recording equipment well like is this Travis's tiny children's microphone? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they they had so many microphones at the station. Yeah, he has the good stuff from Istanbul. Come on, <laughs> and like even even if they would be bigger, they wouldn't be like as obvious as this like yellow and green like plastic kids toy microphone that's just like bobbing in front of their conversation. It's truly ridiculous. Like yeah, we've got this hashed together s- straw boom pole with a tiny brightly colored toy microphone bobbing into the scene so like ray's just asking to get caught but he he kind of finally clues in and becomes sympathetic because he's overhearing uh waller and miss mitchell's conversation where he basically reveals that he's been trying to set a trap for rfr Uh, any minute now one of them's going to be here to try and record a date that uh, i'm supposed to be on with you uh for this to be a real date when you've had to actually ask me first Yes, well, that wasn't going to happen. Oh, so you were never going to ask me out? And he's like, well, what What if you say no? <laughs> like, what if I yeah. would ask you he's, and you'd say no? He's just like a nervous boy with a crush. And while the, while this conversation is happening, we get like these these um, lingering shots of Ray kind of cluing in that he's he's in the same boat. And the conversation ends with um, Emily telling uh, Waller that he's kind of sweet. And she punches him in the arm and Ray just has like this this little moment because that's that's what Lily does. So it's it's like this very sweet little like he's he's finding the humanity in in Waller. Yeah, it's it's I gotta give Al McAdam another shout shout out because it's legitimately like you just see Ray's face kind of soften and become very thoughtful. He, he plays it really well. It's a really sweet moment. Yeah, honestly, part of a big part of why the show airs so well is just because this cast is so good. You know, Emily, why don't we get out of here? What about your cunning trap? I'd rather take you to dinner. It's very sweet. And finally, the gang catches up. I don't know how long it took them to get there, but they finally get to Mickey's. So the gang catches up to Ray and they're like, oh, my God, how did he not get caught? And Ray basically reveals that, you know, he ended up not wanting to screw over Waller because they were real cute together. And we get a classic, you know, Lily punch in the arm because he's suddenly playing like the ethics card because Lily's like, oh, how are they? How are they cute? And Ray's like, oh, I can't tell you. It would just be gossip. And it's it's really sweet. And then we cut to Waller listening to RFR in his office wearing a very bright yellow shirt. It's very bright. <laughs> Waller's listening to RFR and actually kind of enjoying it as Robbie's opining philosophically again. Emily comes in and he kind of hurriedly turns off of the radio and she's like, no, 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 turn it on. It's chiming. Maybe you're opening your mind a little. And they sit and listen together as Lily debuts a new song. And it's, there's a lot happening here because Lily's singing this song about like how all that's in her head is like her crush is like you and me and you and me and Waller and Emily are listening together and Waller does that kind of like, awkward cute little like his hand is close to her hand and he kind of like 
scoots yeah, his pinky like, over yeah, to kind of hold the, her hand. The nervous, like preteen pinky <laughs> wraparound kind of kind of deal. And and Lily's looking right at Ray the entire time oh, she's singing. So many significant looks. We also get this great moment where it cuts away to Kim for a second, who's also listening to RFR for some reason. She's just like, oh, Waller can't do anything, right? <laughs> yeah, Kim, Kim doesn't have much investment in Waller. She just wants RFR to be taken down. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, lots, lots of sweet moments, lots of wistful looks. Oh, you just so want much, Lily and Ray so to get together whist. so bad. So much whist. That I, a very whist. a very sweet episode all around. Big fan. Yeah. It makes me sad that I'm pretty sure Miss Mitchell doesn't show up in the series again after this <laughs> for you to read my mind and it's all you and me and you and me you and me and you and me let us be but that's our episode very waller centric lots of fun waller moments we get a little bit of kim we get the return of leon appleton randomly yeah wasn't expecting that but we we sure got it so thanks, uh, thanks, Will Greenblatt. Over in Mickey's Disc, songs for this episode, we've got Warning by Green Day, Why Can't I by Liz Fair, All Men Fear Women by The Planet Smashers, Pinball Summer by Secondin, Start It Over by Shine Factory, It's On by The Black Europeans, Wait for Summer by The Red Hot Valentines, and Easily by The High Planets. The, the one that stood out for me the most was The Planet Smashers. It, it all <laughs> keeps coming back. There's so much ska, but I'm I'm not mad about it because it's just like it's such a trope of the show at this point. It'd be weird uh, so if there wasn't ska. ska. <laughs> and it's it's something I didn't notice until we started like doing this deep rewatch no. of how much freaking ska, I wouldn't, specifically I wouldn't how much Planet up. Smashers. A lot of Planet it's... Smashers. I mean, you, you could see even in the shots where. Um, uh, Emily and Waller are in Mickey's together. You can see the Planet Smashers poster behind them on the wall. <laughs> oh my god, I, I feel like I feel like another one of the it's episodes. We'll have to do like dive into the Planet Smashers part two and try and suss out what the connection is yeah. that has made the Planet Smashers such like a integral part of this show. Yeah, but I mean, can. other than that, it's another Lily song. We get another one of Lily's original songs, and it's a really cute one. And uh, just accompanies cute moments. So that does it for episode 20 of Radio Free Roscoe and a podcast Free Roscoe. If you're not already, you can follow us on social media. You can find us at Podcast Free Roscoe on Facebook and Instagram or Pod Free Roscoe on Twitter. You can also give us a shout at podcastfreeroscoe at gmail.com. Send us any comments you have about the show, about some of the other Canadian content we've covered, any feedback. You know, we're, we're happy to hear it. And we're especially happy to hear it if you want to send us a voice memo because we can put you on the air so you too can be on the radio. But not on the radio because it's a podcast. So for now, this is Podcast Free Roscoe signing off. <laughs> <laughs>